Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Sermons Podcast. At Legacy Church, we help people find their identity in Jesus and their place in His mission to impact the world through the gospel. We ask that you grab your Bibles, listen up, and we hope that you hear a great word from the Lord today. Good morning. All right. Hey, I do like how you commented, Dustin, about the life cycle. And I know we went from dedication of home and family to walking with Christ in in baptism. We're going to do communion in a little while. And then we're going to celebrate and pray over one of our pastors and his wife as they go on sabbatical. So it's like the full cycle. Um, I'm not sure, but the conditions are right. Maybe Jesus would return at the end of the service and we'd have done the whole thing. So you may want to be praying for that this morning. I don't know. Uh, When I ask you this morning a question, we'll start with this. How many of you use a passcode on your phone or your computer to lock it up tight? Do you do that? Some of you may look at your phone and your eyes magically unlock your phone or you use your thumbprint or you type it in. How many of you lock the doors of your house at night? Do you do that? Or if you leave your home, do you lock the house up tight? When you leave your car to go inside somewhere, do you lock the car? You do that. I do that. Why do we do this? Why do we lock everything up? We do it because we know that if there's something of value, someone is going to try to steal it, right? It's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. I've learned that the hard way. Someone broke into our house when I was growing up and stole a bunch of things. You don't want to learn that lesson the hard way. If there's anything of value, someone at some point is going to try to steal it. I want you to keep that in mind this morning as we look to our Bibles. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. In your Bible or your journaling Bible, Uh, I love how Dustin started last week in chapter 2, beginning to teach us about Peter's introduction to false prophets or false teachers in the world. We saw this last week. He wrote to these Christians scattered throughout the Roman Empire. He said, there will be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. He tells them many people will follow these false teachers And because of them, the truth will be maligned or slandered. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. And what we see with false prophets and what we'll talk about today is that false teachers come to steal from you the good things that God desires to give to you. Do you you hear what I'm saying here? If there's anything of value, someone will come to try to steal it. And what we'll see here is that false teachers come to steal the good things that God has given, that, which, that reminds us, I guess, I guess of, of what lies behind ultimately every false teacher and every false teaching, every word of it. Remember how Jesus talked about Satan and he called him a thief? He said, yes, the, the enemy, the thief, he comes to steal, he comes to kill and to destroy, and then he compares himself, he says, but I have come that you may have life and that you may have life abundantly. Jesus comes to give life and fullness of life, and the enemy comes to ruin that life and to steal from you all the good that Jesus wants to give you. That's what we see here behind false teaching and false teachers. There is an enemy, there's a, a deep spiritual enemy who wants to ruin your life. If you'll remember how we've started this study in chapter one, we've learned about all these things we've been given in Christ. We learned we've received a lot. We've received faith, we've received grace, we've received reconciliation with God. We're told that we have a new standing with God, a new place with God, that we are able to be close to God in Christ. We have a new relationship with God because of Jesus. That's something that we're given. We don't earn it. We don't don't work for it. We don't buy it. We are receivers of it. 
We were told that there's all of these things that are granted to us or everything is given to us, everything that we would ever need to face life and anything that may come in your life. The Bible promises in Christ you're given everything that you need to face life as it comes and to face it in a way that glorifies God. You're given everything for that. You're told you're given a new mind. In other words, a new way to see and to reason and to perceive the things that are happening in life. You're given a new power that now you're not on your own to do things that you could never do on your own, but you have divine power at work in your life. And we're told that you have a new nature, right? A divine nature. You're a partaker in that. Or as Paul says, you're a brand new you. You've been made brand new. Old things have passed away and new things have come. All of those things are incredibly valuable things. Can we agree with that? All of those things are incredibly valuable things. And so if the principle is true, then someone is going to come to try to steal all of that from you. And that's what we see in this text today. today. False teachers and false teaching, if believed and if followed, if believed and if followed by you, will attempt to steal from you all of the good things that God is seeking to do in your life. There's a pattern I want you to notice as you're reading in 2 Peter in chapter 1. Peter's very bold, he's very confident, he says, you can trust the Bible. All the things that are coming in your life in this present day, all of the things that are happening around you. He's talking to these Christians who were dispersed around the Roman Empire. We've talked about the conditions and how, how awful it was in this time in, in the world's history. And he says, you can trust the Bible in what it says about how to face the things that are happening in your life. He's going to say that again in chapter 3 when he's talking about the things that are going to happen in the future. He says, you can trust the Bible when it comes to what it says about things to come. But between chapter 1, you can trust the Bible. and chapter 3, you can trust the Bible. and chapter 2, he says, but don't trust everyone who teaches the Bible. Because there are people who will twist and turn and distort the scriptures to mean whatever they want it to mean. And in the way that they do it, it will steal from you. It will steal your attention. It will distract you. It will steal your affection for the things of God and the things that that are life-giving, and it will steal from you. It will steal from you the fruit. This is what happens when false teaching and false teachers get into our lives. Now, Peter, when he he writes this, he's not sitting in his pastoral office going, I've got to come up with something clever to send to these people. I want to impress them and make them think I'm theologically astute and I've got a powerful message. But Peter saw this at work in his own life. In his days walking with Jesus for three years, Peter walked with Jesus physically on the earth, following along with Jesus. He heard the things that Jesus said, didn't read them on paper, he heard them firsthand with his ears. Remember he said, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, we saw that a couple of weeks ago. He watched the miracles of of God take place. He watched Jesus heal people, bring people who were dead back to life. He saw Jesus do incredible things that no one but God could do. He saw these things. He went with Jesus. He saw people see these things, receive these things, and turn to follow Jesus. And then he saw the other people show up. And the other people were these religious types. They, They came in and they claimed to work for God, but they were really working against God. And they would come and they would criticize Jesus. They would criticize the followers of Jesus, the words of Jesus. They would argue with Jesus and they would distract the people. They would sidetrack the people from hearing and receiving and following Jesus. Peter saw these things taking place in the days that he walked with Jesus. And so when he says there are false teachers coming, he goes, oh, no, I've seen all of this. I've seen all of this before. I want to remind you last week, Dustin talked about counterfeits. I love how he talked about counterfeits. Every time you hear the word false 
in, in the Bible, false prophets, false teachers, false teachings, that's a sign to you that we're talking about counterfeits. And, and one of the things that, that Peter uh, shows us about counterfeits is that counterfeits never come up and introduce themselves as, as false teachers. The, the Pharisees and the Sadducees never walked up and said, well, hey, I know we've got religious position, but really everything I say, you shouldn't believe it, okay? It would be like someone coming to you and say, hey, it's nice to meet you. I'm here to rob you, so would you just make this easy on me and go ahead and give me all your stuff? No, they're more covert than that, right? He said in verse 1 that they secretly introduce dangerous, destructive heresies. It's all done in secret. And how do they do that in secret? Well, they come and they claim to belong to God. They come and they claim to be working for God. They come and they claim to be on team Jesus. And yet something is not right. There's something in them that, that isn't settled. In, in some way they've held back. They're not all in with Jesus. They've, they've, they've held something back for themselves. Maybe they said, I have decided to follow Jesus. Wherever he goes, wherever he leads, I will go. Except when it comes to this area of my life, this part belongs to me. Or maybe they have a, a secret agenda that they haven't disclosed to anyone yet. Or maybe they're just kind of dual-minded, double-minded about it. They think that they can live a little bit Christian, which, by the way, quick lesson for all of us. There's no living a little bit Christian. There's no living partly Christian or kind of Christian. That would be like Jesus being partly Savior or kind of Savior or just a little bit Savior. He's either Savior or he's not Savior, and you're either Christian or you're not Christian. There's no, like, I can be a little bit Christian. Just a good lesson to take home with you today. But Peter, again, he didn't come up with this in his office, like I have to have a good letter to write to these people. Peter's just talking about what he has seen and experienced in his time on earth. Ever heard of Judas Iscariot? You ever heard of him? One of the disciples that walked with Peter, that walked with Jesus, he, he was one of the guys. He went with them everywhere he went. He was preaching the gospel in towns. He was active in ministry. God was using even Judas to perform miracles. God was healing people and doing miraculous things through the instrument of Judas Iscariot. And what happened with Judas is Judas was, was double-minded. He had a secret agenda, and we didn't know what it was. They didn't know what it was. No one knew what was going on, but Judas had something he was holding back, something else that, that had his heart and we found that out eventually when he left what he had once confessed. He left the faith he had once professed. And Jesus wasn't surprised by this. In fact, if you go through the Gospels, you find Jesus several times mentions that one of the twelve would betray him. In fact, at one point he says, one of you is a son of the devil. Which <laughs> at that point, I don't know what they were thinking and why they didn't like spend all of their effort trying to figure out which one is it at that point. But it, it wasn't out and they didn't know. Jesus wasn't surprised and yet none of the disciples ever would have guessed that Judas was a counterfeit. No way! Judas was sent out town by town. At one point they were two by two. He was sent out as one of the two and was preaching the gospel to people. Maybe he was, he was incredibly articulate. Maybe people turned to faith in Jesus because of Judas at some point or time. Maybe he was you know, deeply involved in some miraculous healing. God was doing things through Judas. There's no way he could be a counterfeit. And yet, in the end, what we learned is that he was double-minded, that he wasn't all in, that he hadn't, he hadn't given his whole life at the feet of Jesus. He was holding back. And so, again, Peter sees this up close and, and personal. And, and I love last week how Dustin talked about counterfeits, and he taught us this. See if you remember this. 
He taught us the way to see a counterfeit is to be very clear in understanding what the real thing looks like. You remember the sneakers he brought out on stage and he talked about knowing the, the real expensive sneaker versus the counterfeit that was made somewhere else and is being passed off as the real thing and sold as the real thing, but it's not. And he showed you the way that you know the difference between the real thing or not. The process of authentication by those who know is that they know every detail, the smell, the feel, the stitching, everything on the real thing. And so when they come to a counterfeit, it's obvious to them. And, and I don't know if you know this, the Secret Service has the same process when it comes to cash. You can go online. I took a class online that mimics the training uh, that the Secret Service does on how to authenticate real cash. I did it because at, at the end there was a test and it was really fun. And you could go through and you could guess and, it, and like digitally you could move it around and turn it and everything to see if you could tell the th real thing from, from the fake. And I love how he talked about that because when we get to, to uh, what he showed us last week, he talked about leaning into the word of God and trusting the word of God and knowing the real thing so you can smell out the fake thing. But what Peter does through the rest of chapter 2 is he begins to show us some very clear signs of the fake thing. He shows us very clear signs, sure signs of false teaching. And one thing that you could do with this, as we're going to take a look at it, is you could take these signs uh, that mark false teaching and false teachers, and you could begin to use them as a rubric or a test to evaluate everything that you're taking in, every, every written word, every word that you listen to, and you could throw them th against this grid and say, does this pass the test? Is this true or is this a false teaching? And you could apply it to the blogs that you read or the books that you read, to the podcasts that you listen to, to the preachers that you could, you should apply it to the preachers that you listen to, the tweets that you read or the opinions that people put out on Facebook, and you can run everything through this grid. You probably should do that. It's a great thing to do. But the thing that was on, on my mind and my heart this week, more than in this moment, what are the, the voices that are speaking into my life saying, and are they true or not, was turning the test on myself. And each of us beginning to think through the grid of, would I pass the sniff test? You follow me? If I was to take a test, would there be any signs of, of destructive heresies within me? Things that maybe imperceptibly, unknowingly have entered into my mind and into my heart, into my life, things that are beginning to come out of my mouth and out of my decisions that are marked not by the truth of God's word, but are marked instead by these destructive heresies that I've allowed enter into my life. Would I pass the test if there was a test of, am I someone who not only is entangled with false teaching in any way at all, but I, am I becoming an accidental false teacher in the way that I live and the way that I speak? This is vitally important because even a little entanglement is destructive. Even the smallest bit of entanglement with false teaching is destructive because it's like a sickness. And it may just be in one little area of your life, but it will quickly spread throughout your life and it will overtake your ability to know, to hear, to love, and to speak truth into this world. And so if you've got your, your Bible open, what I want you to see is um, keeping in mind this vantage point. Do I have any signs and marks of false teaching in my life? Peter's going to highlight, or I'm going to lift from the page, three things that he says about those who are entangled or wrapped up at all in false teaching. He will highlight different aspects of their life. He'll talk about the things that they say, the things that they see, and the things that they seek. And he'll say, if you look at what people say, what they see, and what they seek, it will reveal to you what they believe. So let's start with say. Look at verse 10. 
daring and self-willed. They do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasoning animals born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed, suffering wrong as the wages of wrongdoing. I've highlighted this word reviling because you notice in, in three times in just this little passage, it, it, this word revile or reviling, another word for blaspheme or blasphemy is used to describe how our words, how the things that we say reveal a lot about what we actually believe. And the word here essentially means to have a sense of irreverence in the way that we speak when we speak about God, when we speak about his word or his will or his ways or his people or those who follow his word and his ways. In other words, it's having a disdain or having a sense of flippancy or even attacking God and his word and those who are his messengers. That's what he's talking about here. Uh, and there's a sense he describes of, of blind arrogance that works. And it's a, not just a blind arrogance, but a blinding arrogance. Again, verse 10, he says they're daring, they're self-willed. And here's the, the truly astounding and, and arrogant part. They do not tremble. They do not tremble when they revile against angelic majesties. There is a, a blind arrogance, which I have inhabited at times in my life. And I guarantee we all have. That is a blinding arrogance. A kind of arrogance that, that in a way it overwhelms our ability to hear truth. When we think we know things that we don't know. When we feel like we have a mastery over things that we don't have a mastery over. We, when we are puffed up, it overwhelms us in such a way that we can't know truth. We can't hear truth when it's presented to us. We don't love truth. We don't fight for truth. We are not convicted by truth. And I've seen this in my life. When I'm blindly arrogant in this way, I give myself permission to speak in any way regardless of my faith and regardless of my convictions and regardless of what I have said my allegiances are. And what Peter is showing us, I think, is that our words can give evidence to the truth about our beliefs. It can show, the things I say can show where I reject godly wisdom. Our words, the things that I say can show where I reject sound teaching. Even though I've heard it, even though I took a class on it, even though my friend told me it, yet I'm not living by it because my words are beginning to reveal it, that they show where I'm lacking in godly character. And Peter, and this is kind of a, a punch in the gut, he says people who are like this are like unreasoning animals. They're just like making a lot of noise, but no sense. Just a, whatever they're saying, the, whatever they're espousing, it's just a bunch of grunts and groans and roars, but there's nothing else, nothing else to it. I do think that we can, we can learn a lot about ourselves if we pay careful attention to the words that we say. The things that we repeat, to the things that we, the, the way we respond to things that are said to us, the way we speak to those we love, the way we speak to our enemies, the way we speak about this world, about ourselves, about sin, about God, the reactions that we give, I think we should ask the question. It's an important question to ask. What is my mouth revealing about, about what I truly believe? I wonder if you took time at that this week. I wonder what you would find. What does my mouth reveal about what I truly believe about God? 
I mean, I've, I've agreed intellectually to a certain systematic theology, a certain uh, number of statements about the nature and the character of God, but the way I speak on a daily basis, does it, does it hold water? Is it consistent with the things that I've said I believe? Or does it say something else about what I believe about God and what I believe about myself, what I believe about sin and, and what I believe about the Bible? Because you see, the words that we say, not the ones that we've prepared we prepared to present to people, but the things we just say on an everyday basis tell us a lot about what we actually believe. That's one of the things that, that Peter shows us here. A second thing that he shows us that is a sign that false teaching in some way has been entangled in a person's life is through what they see, what their eyes focus on. Look at verse 13. What their eyes focus on. They counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes revealing in their deceptions as they carouse with you having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin. You follow a person's eyes. You follow a person's eyes and you'll pretty quickly know what they, what they love. You'll pretty, pretty quickly know what's in their heart. How many of you have been at lunch with someone and you find that they don't make eye contact with you, but they're looking at, at other things while you're spending time together. They keep looking at their phone and they're looking at their phone more than you. What does that tell you? It tells you where their mind and their heart is. It's not with you in that moment. They're not present with you in their moment. Physically they are, but their mind and their heart are far from you. They're on what's ever happening on this phone. You follow their eyes. You watch them. They're watching the TV in the corner that's got the scores and the replays from last night's games. Every person that walks by, you notice they're very quick to go, and they're watching the other people, and they're never looking at you, and you know, you know, they're not really there with you. Their mind and their heart, they go with their eyes and what they're focused on. And that, that's what Peter shows us here. He says in verse 14, false teachers have eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin. In other words, they have eyes that are so full of misplaced desires that are seeking satisfaction in places that God has not given them. Their eyes are, are full of, of, of misplaced desire that is behind the wheel and driving the course of their life. It says, he says they count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. In other words, he says that they can act in, in these sinful ways because their eyes are so full. Their eyes are so full of these things that it leads their actions. And he uses this word revel or reveling, which means to take delight in. Uh, I think the picture of this is, is that uh, there is a possibility for you and for me that we may be able to hide a misplaced desire for a time from other people, right? If I have a misplaced desire, I can hide it from you for a while. But reveling means that you take delight in this thing. And the thing that I've learned about myself and I've learned about human nature is when we begin to take delight in a thing, the more delight we take in that thing, the more open we come, become about that thing. And what starts is maybe a secret hidden reveling becomes a, a wide open in, in the daylight kind of reveling. I take delight in these sinful directions or these misplaced desires. And this is what he says here. They counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime. What my eyes are full of reveals what I revel in. You follow? What my eyes are full of, where my eyes are tracking, reveals what it is my heart and my life revels in. Do I delight in the Lord? 
Do I revel in, in his ways and the things that he has given? The things that he has provided to bless me. He's blessed certain things that I would take delight in them and that I would have pleasure in them. Do I revel in these things that are from the Lord or do I revel in things that are not of the Lord? That, that are not given to me from the Lord? That are not blessed for me by the Lord? That, that are dishonoring to the Lord? Do I revel in, in those things? What my eyes are full of reveals what I Revelant. So some questions I really think we should ask ourselves. We should ask ourselves, what do my eyes focus on? And just like at lunch, maybe you were the person sitting at lunch and you're sitting across from somebody and finally they called you out on it, right? As that happened, you were looking at your phone and they said, hey, I'm right here. Yeah? Maybe we need to take account. What do my eyes focus on? Do I revel in the wrong pleasures? And to quote Colossians and to go back to Romans 8 where we started the year. Am I putting death to my appetite for sin? Am I putting sin to death in my life on a daily basis? What do your eyes focus on? So Peter talks about what we say and what we see are sure signs. They will show us whether we're, we're steeped in true teaching or false teaching. And then he says a third thing. He says what we seek. What we seek reveals something. Look at verse 14. Enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking, listen to this, forsaking the right way, turned against it. They've, they've left it behind. They knew what the right way was, but they turned against it. They've gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke for his own transgression, for a mute donkey, speaking with the voice of a man, restrained the madness of the prophet. Balaam in the Old Testament was a daring, self-willed reveler in the daytime. This is who he was. He rejected God's word. He reject, rejected God's way and his will because he was controlled by different treasures. He had something else driving the, the core of his life. And in fact, remember what Jesus said about treasures. He says, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, Balaam's treasure was literal. It was, it was treasure. It was wealth. This is what drove Balaam. He was a prophet of God who wanted money. And so he would claim anything to be true if it benefited him financially. He would claim anything to be true if people offered him enough money to, to do. This is literally what he was doing. People would pay him to say this thing is true. He would offer anything to be true if it made the conditions of his life better. And Peter says that he knew the right way, but he deliberately turned the wrong way for a paycheck. And you know people who have done this. You've seen people do this. Warren Wearsby noted, he said, Balaam, this is important, that he no doubt had a true gift from God, like, a lot like Judas. He was being used by God in a way that fulfilled God's plans and purposes in a time, for a time. And Balaam no doubt had a true gift from God because he uttered some beautiful prophecies about Jesus Christ, but he corrupted that gift to base uses to gain honor and wealth. I heard a story. It's a made-up story. I mean, I don't want you speculating, being like, oh, yeah, what bank was that? It was about a bank executive who went to a young clerk who had just gone through training and started working at the bank, and he said, hey, I need your help with something. I've got some paperwork that I need you to process and needs, needs to go through you. I need your name on it. And it does go against a lot of the things you learned in training, but I'm going to make it worth your while. Will you process this paperwork for $10,000? And the young clerk goes, 
mean? $10,000, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. The executive surprised the answer came so quickly. So he, he said, well, okay, well, would you do it for $1,000? And the clerk said, what do you think I am, a common crook? And the bank executive said, well, yeah, we've already established that. We're just negotiating your price now. And I think that this is the case for a lot of people when it comes to how we hold on to truth and how we hold on to the integrity of truth, right? I think we should ask these questions. What do I treasure? Where your treasure is, that's where your, your heart will be. What do I treasure? What do I love? You're not sure what that is? I mean, you're, you're, you're quick to give an answer. Oh, you know, I love Jesus and I love my family. That's the stuff I love. It's, it's just that stuff, nothing else. I mean, I, I go back to this all the time. What is your date book and what is your checkbook? That was back in the day. What, is your, what does your iPhone tell you about what you love, right? What does your search history tell you about what you love? What are you seeking after? What are you chasing after with the way that you use your time and your energy? What is your life being poured out for that you might obtain or that you might experience or accomplish? What are you chasing? What's your treasure? What a person sees, what a person see, uh, says, sees, and seeks will tell you everything you need to know about what they love, what they trust, and what they believe. Okay? You can turn that on all the podcasts and, and all of the books you're reading. This morning I want you to turn that on, on yourself, and I, I'm turning that on myself. What a person says, sees, and seeks reveals a lot about what a person loves, trusts, and believes. We take the test... Each of us, I have no doubt in my mind that we're all going to find some evidence of, of the mark of false teaching on our lives. I just do. The question isn't, have you, have you heard a false teacher lately? You have. Probably every day. If you, if you watch the news or listen to a podcast or the radio or watch a TV show or have any depth of contact with anyone in the modern world, you have been exposed to false teaching. The question is, do you recognize it when you see it and are you able to reject it before it begins to steal from you all of the good things that God wants to do in and through your life? Because any amount of false teaching is stealing from you. It's stealing your attention, it's stealing your affection, it's stealing the fruit from the, li- from, from the life that, that turns to God. And not only is it stealing from you, but maybe it's stealing from people around you because now you are espousing something that is not true. Peter says this, he says, false teaching in your life is like springs without water. Do you see that in verse 17? He says, it's like springs without water. Imagine being in a dry and, and, and hot, weary land and you see that, that, that river, that pond, that, that stream over there and it's, the light is just sparkling off of it and you're running to it and you know the picture, it's a mirage, it's not really there. Or maybe, maybe picture being stuck in the middle of the ocean, you're ship has gone down and you have a little life raft and you're just surrounded by water except the problem is what it's not drinkable it's salt water and it will not sustain your life it will only end your life more swiftly he says they're like springs with no water and he says what follows from them look at verse 17 it's a disturbance they're mists driven by a storm a little false teaching in your life it may be just a cloud now but there's a storm coming These are not cute little misgivings or mistakes in ideology. 
Peter calls them destructive heresies. Destructive heresies that are threatening your life in every way. And in verse 22, I want you to see this because I think it's one of the most disgusting verses in the Bible. It's a quotation of uh, Proverbs 26, 11. And there are some really good candidates, by the way, for the most disgusting verse in the Bible. This is, is probably top three, maybe, maybe number one. But what Peter says is to have come close to the truth, as Judas did. To come so close to life and peace and satisfaction and joy and then to have turned away, it would have been better that you had never come to it in the first place. That's how he says it. He says, he says it's like a dog returning to its vomit. Isn't that a picture? Hope you never forget that. Here's the full verse. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow after washing returns to wallow in the mire. In other words, the pig is washed on the outside and the dog has cleaned out its insides. And so the pig looks better, it looks clean and the dog feels a little better because it's cleaned out all the gunk that was on the inside. And yet the problem is nothing has really changed about them. Same old nature. Pig is still just a pig and it's going to act like a pig. And so you can clean them up, but what's he going to do? Run and dive in the mud. And a dog is going to act like a dog. He can vomit it up, but what does a dog do? Hmm. They go and sniff at it. They turn back to it. They return to their vomit and begin to eat the thing that made them sick in the first place. And that's what Peter's saying. He says false teaching. If believed, if followed, if allowed in your life at all, will only make you turn back to the thing that made you sick in the first place. That's the point of the really gross verse, verse 22. I guess there's a lot of bad news. But you're glad you came, church, came to church today, right? That's, whew, I feel good. I'm excited. Here's what, you, here's what you came for, though. There's good news. This is why you showed up this morning, because there's good news. What good news is there if there is so much false teaching in the world and we're being exposed to it on a daily basis and it can sneak its way in and I can become an accidental, you know, false teacher. What good news is there? Two words of good news. The first is in verse 9. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. Isn't that good news? Right? I can set up all kinds of systems to try to prevent myself from taking in false teaching and believing it. And I should. I should work at that. I can focus on the things that I see where my eyes are focused, the things that I say that come out of my mouth. I can focus the things that my heart seeks after. I can pay attention to those things. I can do that and I should do that. But every human system will ultimately fail because in our strength alone, we cannot overcome false teaching. We cannot overcome the, the, the work that the enemy does to try to steal from us the good that God intends for us. We cannot do that on our own. But the good news is, the good news is the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. No matter how twisted the teaching, no matter how secretly and cleverly it was worked into our life, no matter how hard we're trying to hold on to gospel truth and we feel it being pulled away by everything in this world, the good news is that the Jesus who saved you also knows how to rescue you from false teaching. He does that. He knows how to do that and he is able to do that when we turn to him. He can rescue the godly. Verse 5 says that he preserved Noah. Verse 7 says that he rescued Lot. Verse 9 says he will rescue his people from false teaching. That's great news. And I want you to see verse 16 because this is one beautiful demonstration of the power of God at work. This is again the story of Balaam. It says, he, Balaam, received a rebuke for his own transgression 
for a mute donkey speaking with the voice of a man restrained the madness of the prophet. How can we possibly overcome all of the messages that are coming into our heads on a daily basis? How can we possibly weed through all of the chaos and not be taken out by false teaching? How can it be defeated by the Word of God? And so powerful is the Word of God that even spoken through the mouth of a donkey, it undid the madness of this corrupt prophet Balaam. And so maybe, maybe on some days I'll be your donkey. And hopefully not your Balaam. And maybe you'll have coffee this week with the donkey. And those of you who have children, you know how true it is that your children will mirror the things that you say and the things that you see and the things that you seek. And when you look into that mirror, sometimes you may go, something's not right. And as you begin to see yourself reflected in the mirror of your children, maybe that will be your donkey. I pray that you have a life group full of donkeys this week. (laughs) And I hope that you realize that the Lord desires to use his people as donkeys. (laughs) That he may need to use you to be a donkey into someone else's life this week. To speak truth in an area in which they have allowed false teaching. To steal from them the good that God wants to do in their life. So let's pray this. Let's pray that God's grace... God's grace would be received in our lives as we, like donkeys, make ourselves of use to God. And that he would, in such a beautiful way, rescue us from all of the ocean of false teaching that surrounds us on a daily basis. Would you pray that with me this morning? Father, we come today and we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that it's not just a book of of stories but instead it's a book of truth, it's a revelation of you, it's the way you've invited us to know you and to live life with you, and we're so grateful for the warnings, and that the same kinds of things that we encounter today are things that have always been encountered, because then we can find how to orient ourselves or position ourselves in the brokenness of this world, And, and Lord, until the day that you return for us, would you help us to depend on the truth of your word, to love it, to love the truth, to be a people of the truth. And where we, we have attack coming our, in our way, to remember that we're not alone, but you, Lord, are with us. And you will uphold us with your mighty arm. Would you do that? Would you help us to love truth and walk in truth and speak truth so that you'd be glorified and that so, so more people would come into our family? And they would know life and joy and peace. Would you use this church to protect one another? Would you, through this church, protect us? Protect us from the thief who comes to steal, to kill and destroy. Maybe that's the reason so much of our life we're grumbling and we're complaining and we're going, things aren't the way that I think that they ought to be. Maybe it's because we've allowed so much stuff to enter our life that is just not true. It's counterfeit. Help us to know the truth, to love the truth, and to live by the truth. And as promised in Romans, by the truth, we'd be free. Free to walk, free to roam, free to live by your spirit. To stand before you 
not ashamed, not condemned, beloved. To face even troubles, but not be overwhelmed, not, not, not crushed, not, not destroyed, because you've overcome the world. Thank you for loving us in such a faithful way. May we delight in your faithfulness in such a way that it overshadows and overwhelms the temptation to cling to any word that would come. In Jesus' name, amen.